Well, good morning. Let me check and see if I'm working here. Am I on? Yeah, I'm on. Okay. Uh, good morning. I was just thinking when Scott wished everyone happy Independence Day, um, I thought to myself, man, I'm thankful for the pioneers. Um, and I was sitting there thinking, man, the, the, the thing that I'm most thankful for, and I'm sad to say, and there are a lot of things that we can be thankful for, but I'm thankful that I woke up this morning and I, and I was able to drink coffee and not tea. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. But uh, I think one of the cool things that I get to do here from time to time is, is uh, share, and, share in the Word and, and be able to um, stand up here and, and teach, hopefully. And maybe we can all kind of gather or get something from what's going to be shared this week. Uh, this morning, not this week. I'm not going to go that long. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, one of my things too, as most of you guys know, I, I kind of wanted to do a little report uh, from some some good things that happened this week. Um, we here are a big contributor into the ministry of FCA here in Spartanburg County. Um, and this week, I had the privilege to be a part of as a area rep with FCA. I was asked to lead, uh, and this is how funny. If you know me, this is how big of a sense of humor God has. Um, I was asked to lead a basketball camp. Never played a game of basketball in my life. I'm a drummer. I'm a musician, and I sit behind the drum set for a reason because I can't sing. Um, but uh, God did, um, in, in a funny way, use the whole thing. We had uh, the camp was held at uh, First Baptist Spartanburg through their recreation department. Um, we had First Baptist Bowling Springs contribute the use of about, oh gosh, probably 23, 24 uh, basketballs, and we had over 60, 65 kids um, involved with the basketball camp. Let me tell you, it is incredibly tough to teach a very uh, a second grader how to play the game of basketball. I learned the phrase herding cats was very, very real, um, So, and plus their attention spans are shorter than Scott's. So, um, Sorry, I just had to take that dig, Scott. So, you know, whatever. Um, But uh, God does use things because we had over 30 decisions, 30 plus decisions for Christ or recommitments um, among second second to sixth graders, yeah. And um, it's all uh, all because uh, of generous uh, contributions like like, uh, New Life contributes to the ministry of FCA. And those kids came to know Christ. They got a t-shirt, they got a Bible, they got a bag. Um, and the contribution there, um, it goes to the ministry of FCA. So um, it's good to hear what God's doing, even through the ministry of, of basketball and even through a guy that can't. <laughs> I, I taught no basketball. I just facilitated the camp and took pictures and, and, and talked to the kids during snack time. But what was uh, funny is actually, speaking of snack time, during the snack time, um, there, there was a room where the kids went in to ha- and they had snack. Um, and so we, we would herd them in, sit them down, give them their Capri Sun, the bag of Cheetos, and sit there and, you know, talk to them, have them sit down, all that other stuff. Well, about uh, the first day, it didn't take them long to realize that there were vending machines in this room as well. It's, it's a kitchen, dining area, dining hall type deal. Um, if you've ever been over near the gym at First Baptist Spartanburg, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I had a child on the second day walk up to me he was probably first or second third grade um and and i heard i heard his pants pants pocket jingling when he when he was walking up because all day you know he was playing basketball and i heard jingle 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 you know and um he gets he looks at me he's like mr jimmy i got some snack money 
I'm like, well, buddy, we, we've got snack we'll give you. You don't have to bring your own money. He said, no, I want something from the machine. Okay? And so he, we get to snack time. He's so excited. He pulls out his, his money, and he only has 75 cents. Well, welcome to 2022. If any of y'all have looked at a snack machine lately, a long gone are the days that you can get something for 45 cents, 50 cents, a dollar Coke, whatever. Um, and, and one of the, he could only get essentially the chips that we were giving him <laughs> from snack time, but there was just something about it. he wanted, he wanted to buy his snack. Um, but he was disappointed because he was looking at the snack machine and of course they had the top line and the chips and the popcorn and all that. And as you worked your way down, you got to the fancier snacks like the chocolate bars and the Snickers and the Oreos and all that other stuff, all that great good stuff that the Lord blesses, right? Um, and, and he was incredibly disappointed because he said, I want, and he pointed to a chocolate bar. He said, I want that one. I said, buddy, um, you only got 75 cent and you need a dollar 25. He said, but I want that one. I said, buddy, you can't get that one. And I said, you can, you can get anything from the top two rows. And so when he found the, when he found the smart pop popcorn, he like, he forgot all about the chocolate bars and he was okay with that. But this child, and yes, and if you work with kids, you understand, they don't comprehend or grasp, you know, hey, this is how much it costs. They don't, they don't count the cost. They don't, they don't know how much it takes to, for mom and dad to drive through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and get the kids' meal and all that. They just know that how you go about doing it. Um, and it's crazy because even Maddox is starting to pick up on stuff like that. Anyway, um, we're only like two minutes into the sermon and I've already mentioned my son. Anyway, um, but... It, 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 some, it really resonated with me because it hit me. I was like, and as I was starting to kind of think about, you know, what, what I was going to be teaching today, and he didn't have enough, this, this child didn't have enough money. Now, did he intentionally not count the cost? I don't think he didn't intentionally not count the cost. I don't think he just comprehended what he had and how, if he could get those things. But I thought it was a great illustration for us because he wanted the expensive snack for the cheap snack price. He didn't want to, I don't want to say he didn't want to put all of his money in, but he, he expected to get the cheap snack or the expensive snack for the cheap snack price. And of course, as I'm processing and chewing on a sermon throughout my week and preparing, God started kind of resonating and saying, hey, this is a tough truth that we kind of have to grasp. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm gonna say this as we head into this, into this message today, um, I'm going to be providing a lot of scripture. Um, I'm not going to be able to teach all of it, but all of it plugs into the idea that I'm going to be presenting. And if you have notes, take notes, write them down on your notepad, because these are, this is a, a serious thing that we need to consider. And, and continuing in the theme of all in, you know, I didn't want to be the stereotypical Clemson fan and like, oh yeah, let's talk about all in, you know, all that other stuff. But I thought about it, I was like, all in, what's a, what's a thing that, that can kind of, we need to talk about? And it was counting the cost. Because see, like this kid, he didn't really know the cost or count the cost of what the snack was. I, I, I will stand here and, and as lovingly as I can say this, I don't think the American church has counted the cost of following Christ. And that hurts 
because I was raised in the evangelical boom. I was discipled in the evangelical boom of the late 90s, the early 2000s, where we were so focused on, we, we consider now the, the big win is, is how many hind ends we have sitting in a seat on Sunday morning and not how many d- disciples we're making. And so as, as we kind of get into this, I want you guys to grab that easy believism in America, easy believism Christianity has kind of pushed us to not really count the cost of what it means to follow Christ. And I know that's a lot of heat coming straight out of the gate, but I think it's something that we need. If we're going to be all in as believers, if we're going to follow Christ and be all in 120%, because, you know, that, that phrase and, and, I'm trying not to go there with, the, with me knowing the story of the all-in with the Clemson and the poker chip and all that. But if we're really going to be all-in fully committed to being followers of Christ, we've got to count the cost. We can't, as, as young believers, be standing at the snack machine going, well, you know, I only really have 75 cents. What can I get for 75 cents? You know, when we know that the Lord has blessed us with so much more. So I want to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into Scripture, because it's not about what I say. It's about what the Word of God says. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much just for the time of worship that we've had this morning. God, we thank you so much just for the, the privilege that our forefathers have, have allowed to us to be able to gather as a community of believers, worship with an amplification sound system, me stand up on a a platform and preach your word and Lord know that it's done in freedom and that with, for now, no persecution for what we do. And thank you for for the cross because without the cross of Christ, his sacrifice, his death, his burial, his resurrection, we could not come before a holy God in repentance of our sin and, and profess that you are who you are, the Son of God. Lord, as we study your word, be honored in it, and as we just sang, O Christ, be magnified in this time. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 14 is kind of going to be where we base our passage out of this, uh, this morning. Luke 14 is, is, of course, the very popular counting the cost passage, okay? And of course, as, as I always want y'all to understand when I teach, um, is that the context helps us understand content, okay? And that's very important when we start to study, look at study God's Word. Because of this, context determines content. So here in Luke 14, if we back up a little bit and look uh, at the passages, y'all can do that on your own time. But, but what is going on here is Jesus just spent some time teaching a mixed crowd of people, a large crowd of people, mostly who were Pharisees. Okay. And there's a lot of details I know that, that I may glaze over a little bit. And, and, and I, out of respect for time and all of those things, I don't want to, you know, drop all the details and everything on you. But you know, just to say that, that Jesus was just finished uh, teaching a huge crowd of Pharisees and he deliberately said things to thin the herd. He would deliberately say things to make people go, I don't want none of that. I'm just going to 
I mean, that was cool what you did with healing the blind man, Jesus, but I'm going I'm to go on back over here to town, take care of my stuff. That's what Jesus would do. Because it was the thing that Jesus was focusing on quality over quantity. One of my favorite pastors, Steve Lawson, said this. And this is, of course, he, he makes this quote looking back at the ministry of Jesus. Okay? So as we're processing this passage of Scripture, kind of think about this, kind of store this on the back burner of your mind as, you're, as we're processing all this. Think about this. Steve Lawson said this. Jesus is not interested in big religious crowds. He already had one. It crucified him. He wants disciples. Jesus intentionally made these comments to thin the herd, and especially when we look at verse 25. And here's the thing too, church. Size is not always the best indication of health. I know that because I just went through ankle surgery about two and a half, three years ago. And my ankle swole up huge because of the surgery that it had. Was it healthy? Absolutely not. Is it healthy now? Praise the Lord, it is. But it was huge. Body parts swell. They don't mean, it doesn't, body parts get bigger. It doesn't mean that they're, they're healthy. <laughs> Same thing with the church. I can stand here all day long and preach a cotton candy, palatable message that's easy on the ears. But that's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to preach Christ crucified his resurrection and to call people to repentance of their sin and to become disciples and followers of Christ. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm called to do. So Luke 14, 25 through 33, we look at verse 25, kind of starting out right out of the gate. Now great crowds accompanied him. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, by the way. Now great crowds, crowds, crowds accompanied him and he turned and he said to them, And he turned and he said to them, and it goes back into, in verse 26. Verse 26 says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's heavy words because the dominant Makeup of the group that he was speaking to were Jewish people and Jewish people made very much of and I still think there is a part of we still as a culture need to honor our father and mother students younger adults but they made much of it and so when Jesus spoke these words to the crowd and especially to Pharisees he was telling them to hate their father and mother pump the brakes here a little bit though it's hyperbole jesus was using this this illustration this exaggerated illustration to drive home a point he was saying hate your father and mother hey, anyone who does, does not hate his father and mother his wife and children his brothers and sisters and yes even his own life he was doing it saying that if your love for me does not make it look like that you hate these important people in your life. That's, that's the comparison. That our love for Christ should be so great. So he's, he's not calling his disciples to hate, genuinely hate people. It was an exaggeration of what he was trying to drive home a point. 
And here's the point that he was trying to drive home. That, verse 27, we look at it. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now for us here in modern times, we don't really think about bearing a cross. We know that, okay, we, well, we have a cross here and we sometimes have jewelry ornamentation on our bodies that, that are crossed, maybe a tattoo. But we don't look at, we, well, we, you may. Crosses were in, instruments of death. And even when we look at the, the process of Jesus' crucifixion, he even had to carry a piece of his cross, maybe his, all of his cross, arguably, depending on how you research it and look at it. But when you were carrying your cross, where was your final destination? The grave. Yeah. Death. So he's saying to this group of religious people that he just got finished teaching, hey, die. If you want to be my disciple, die. Well, then how can I be effective for your kingdom if we take it literally? See, the cross was an instrument of death. And, and see, I, I don't think we fully understand the whole concept of bearing our cross. Constantly living as a follower of Christ in the mindset of walking to our grave. Because if we're a follower of Christ, no matter what we're doing, whether it's cutting the grass, uh, uh, working with children, or running a basketball camp, if we're picking up our cross on a daily basis, we are doing that in the mindset of operating, doing cutting grass, work, working with children, basketball. We're operating all of that in the mindset of we are heading to our grave. That was a point. And see, sometimes too, I think we kind of miss it too, in the back half of this verse, he says this, who, I'll just read it again. Whoever does not bear his own cross and comes after me cannot be my disciple. A lot of times we get the, the, the mindset of what a disciple is. Oh, I'm, I'm going to be a disciple of Christ, so I need to be at the church on Wednesday for Bible study. I need to be at church on Sunday. Yes, that is a part of it, but I think, I think it helps us if we get kind of the mentality shift here. Okay. Do we, I know this is going to be kind of funny. Is there a doctor in the house? Do we have any doctors in here? Any, anybody that's a doctor, an MD, uh, PRN, any, anything like that? Any medical backfield pe background people? Backfield people. What? Okay. Um, in, in, the, in that world, and please kind of correct me as I navigate through this, but if I am wanting to become a doctor, of course I go through med school, college, work my way through the process, and after about 20 years I can actually start practicing medicine under the guide of a doctor, right? Generally speaking. Same thing goes with a lawyer, too. Uh, same thing goes with teachers, okay? You have a time frame, if you're a teacher, you have a, 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 a period where before you graduate, you spend time as a student teacher. This is the concept of discipleship. This is the, the image of discipleship that's being painted here. Not just someone that sits down and, and, and do as we are doing studying God's Word. This is a part of it. But, but a disciple is someone who, who devotes their time to learn a, or, or study a, a subject or a trade. 
Okay? And that literally means in the field work, on the job training. We talk about the doctor. The doctor doesn't just graduate med school and the next day he's got a 6 a.m. operation to do a total knee replacement. That's a little bit dangerous. They walk them through the process of getting them there. So that's the image of discipleship that we're talking about here as we look at all this. And the thing before we kind of carry on, I want you guys to grab this too. Is that surrendering your life to Christ is not letting him in and, and saying, hey, come take part of what I'm doing. Come on, Jesus, take part of what I'm doing. See, I tried to do that. Didn't work out. Surrendering your life to Christ is a transfer of ownership once we receive the gift of salvation. A transfer of ownership. I am, not own, I am no longer owned by Jimmy McFarlane Incorporated. My ownership, the deed to my life, is now given to Christ. Verse, uh, verse 28. This is where, where Jesus starts to kind of break it down here. He says, verse 28, for which of you are desiring to build a tower does not first, down, first sit down and count the cost, whether, whether he has enough to complete it or otherwise uh, he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goes out to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while there is, uh, while there, excuse me, while the other is yet great, uh, a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, and I'm going to go ahead and read verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I've had the privilege of sitting through some build team meetings. Um, they, they, they can be long, but they count the It was a specific church that I did work for. They, they were counting the cost, and, and of course, now the addition is there, and it's beautiful. Um, but they brought in builders that were involved in the church, construction guys. Of course, we talked with the, the team that was going to be doing the construction and I had never walked through that process before. And I did not realize how detailed it was. That you just couldn't say, hey, we're building and it's going to be done by this date. They first had to have a person come in and assess the building. Where are the firewalls? Where's the electrical? How are we going to route this plumbing? How are we going to do that? We're going to have to move that there, this here. And it was several meetings that we had to walk through before we put our, our seal of approval on that final stamp, they counted the cost. But also in verse 33, when, when Jesus says, so therefore anyone who, do not, who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What I find interesting right there is that word renounce is a proper separation from. When we're sitting in 2022, when we start to renounce 
life from a culture that is incredibly me-centered. We look to promote ourselves on social media, putting ourselves the best foot forward. We, we climb our way up the corporate ladder. We want everybody to see the best of us. Jesus is saying, renounce that. Don't make much of that. Make much of me. Forget about all that. Treat all that as rubbish and garbage. Make much of me. So the question then becomes, renouncing, what, what are we giving up? And I think Matthew 16, 25 says this. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a hard truth for me to share with y'all, church. I can always know or see if someone has counted the cost. And you ask me, well, why, Jimmy? Because they run at the threat of sacrifice for the Lord. They run to do battle. They run to fill a void. They run to meet a need. They run to give of their services, their times, talents, and treasures. They've counted the cost and they see that the sacrifice that Christ made for them, that the, one, of the, one of the best offerings that they can give is just their life of service. And they run to it. See, Scripture gives us three examples of people who counted the cost. Okay? Going back to this whole idea of, of counting the cost, Scripture gives us three, three, three passages that we can look at. First passage we're going to look at, hold on my was getting dry. I apologize. I know that's kind of annoying. But the scripture was, it gives us three examples. The first one we look at is the rich young ruler. We know the story of the rich young ruler. We, I'm, I'm going to have it kind of, it's Mark 10, 17 through 27. And, and it's there, you guys can read it, but I, I want to park out on verse 21. We know the story. There's a long conversation that happens between Jesus and the rich young ruler. He comes to him kind of in the middle of the night, all this other stuff. And he says this in verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and he said to him, loved him, and he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have the treasure in heaven, and come follow me. The cost was too high for the rich young ruler because he said this, disheartened by, by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. See, we are there. Some of us react in the way that the rich young ruler, we are too tied up with a lot of the things of this world. We see the cost of following Christ and we say, not for me. Cost is too much because I love everything that I have. Now, here's the thing. I think the next one kind of hits a little more home uh, Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted the appearance of having counted the cost, but deep down they did not count the cost. And for most of y'all that know this story, they have a plot of land. They work out between the two of them. They say, hey, Ananias, Ananias says, says to, to Sapphira, he says, 
hey, tell them we basically only sold this much. And so Ananias goes before Peter and all, uh, you know, and says, hey, this is what we have. This is, they, they were giving the appearance of giving their all. Peter straight calls them out. And, Lord, and the Lord punishes them. They die, both of them. Ananias passes, dies right in front of Peter. And then Sapphira comes in and repeats the same story. So they wanted the appearance of having counted the cost. So we've got, we've got the rich young ruler where the cost is too high. We've got these, these two people where, the, where they wanted the appearance of counting the cost. They wanted the, the, the appearance of, oh yes, I, I attend XYZ church. I do these things. I help out here. I even go on a mission trip. But it's not full surrender. It's not dying to yourself. And then, of course, we have to Stephen. Stephen counted the cost and he paid the price. He's, he's one of Scripture's first martyrs. Acts 7, 54 through 60 is there. Long story short, he basically stands up in front of a, a group of Pharisees and Sadducees and he shares the gospel from creation to Jesus. And he connects everything. And we're thinking, man, they must have repented of their sin and everybody should, like, it was a great moment. It was almost like an Acts 1 moment where Peter preached. What did they do? No, they drug him out to the, outside of the walls of the city and stoned him. Killed him. He's Scripture's first martyr. Stephen paid the price with his life. Because he knew that there was nothing else more important than making sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ was known. One of the men standing at the stoning of Stephen, Scripture tells us, was a young Saul. Paul, who wrote over 80% of the New Testament, who God used to write 80% of the New Testament, was standing there and permitted and allowed the stoning of Stephen to happen. And even if you look back on even on the prayer of what Stephen said, and he, and he said this, and he, and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my soul, is verse 59. And he said, falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's prayer was directly for Saul, who later became Paul. Because of the price Stephen paid, it was a part of Paul's story. A young Saul. He was there. When we follow Christ, we're surrendering control. When Christ is in control, righteous living. When Christ is in total control, righteous living is the result. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the, uh, excuse me, the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. That word for creation is a new product. I was thinking about this. I love Vans shoes. As you can see, I love wearing Vans. I'm a kid of the 90s. I race BMX bikes. I've worn Vans. It's kind of like some the Converse tennis shoes that some of y'all may have have worn growing up. I love Vans shoes. These are a new pair of Vans shoes 
They are the same creation, but they are a new product. I have another pair of van shoes at home. I could have worn my van slides this morning. Those are the ones for out without laces, for those keeping score at home. But I could have worn my van slides this morning. Not the same creation. I wanted to wear my new creation, my new vans. My brand new black, untarnished, white soul vans. Love these. They're a new creation. Same product, new creation of the product. When Christ changes us, therefore when we are in Christ, we are the human product, but a new creation. Christ makes us new. And so here's the thing. Would I take my new creation shoes and, and y'all would think I was incredibly weird unless it was like a tacky day or something like that. If I was standing up in here with two pairs of shoes on, two different pairs of shoes on. If I had my slide on my left foot and my lace shoe on my right foot. Why? Because these are new creations. And here's the thing. When we are in Christ, we are a new creation. We're under new control. We're under, when we surrender to Christ, when we surrender control to Christ, because Christ has made us a new creation. And we start processing that thing. The first, first chapter of John, we, if we look at it, we find out that the new creation that, that God has, has made any, everything through Christ. He has made all of creation through Christ. And of that creation, because we are in Christ, we are new creation. Which means that if we are fully surrendered to Christ, we shouldn't be doing the old creation stuff. Counting the cost. So where do we start counting the cost? It really, really just, it starts with denying ourselves. And see, that is a, a crazy concept to think of in 2022 here. I'm telling us to deny ourselves. Now, it's a, it's a good place to start. Is it the only place to start? No, it's not the only place to start, but it is a really, 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 really good place to start. Matthew, let's see here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find my spot. In Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The dictionary of biblical themes defines self-denial as the willingness to deny oneself possession or status in order to grow in holiness and commitment to God. So let me read Matthew 16, 24 again. Then Jesus told him, his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny. Deny himself of his possessions, his status, in order to grow in holiness and commitment to God. All that, right there. Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Self-denial is the consistent fight and, and, and commitment to overcoming the, the fleshly demands. And I'm not just talking about when we say flesh, a lot of times our mind goes to, to the sexual things. I'm talking about the demands of this world that push in to steal our worship away from God. Our desire for this thing or that thing or this status or that status. Self-denial is the constant overcoming of fleshly demands. Galatians 5.24 And those who belong to Christ have been crucified. There's that theme of death again, dying. 
those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, uh, have crucified the flesh with its possessions and desires. As a Christ follower, we are no longer the center of the universe. We are about making Christ the center of the universe in everything that we do. I hate to say this, but I say this with the love, all the love in my heart for you. You don't matter anymore if you are in Christ. You don't. You don't matter because you are to be about making much of Christ. Everything, your times, talents, treasures, everything that you've got, you need to be making much of Christ. Colossians 3, 3 through 5 says this, for you have died. There's that theme of death again. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If we are hidden, if we have died to our flesh and we are hidden with Christ in God, who can see us? When somebody looks for Jimmy, what should they see? Y'all, I'm preaching to myself here. I'm going to be honest with y'all. This is a truth that I, that, that I need to live out too. When Christ, who your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Five, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Galatians 2.20. I told you there was going to be a lot of scripture because this is the best way to talk about this subject. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is, I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live by the flesh and the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Self-denial is a hefty price for Christ in 2022. Because we have a culture telling us absolutely different. Take pride in who you are. Do the, the, all, all this other stuff. And I don't want to go down those roads right now. But we don't have to look far to figure it out. And I'll say this too. Self-denial is a daily thing. We have to die to ourselves daily. We have to count the cost daily, die to ourselves daily. And all of this is only achievable through the Holy Spirit. Full and complete surrender. We go back to the illustration of surrender when, when you know, God forbid if a SWAT team were to walk through the back doors of this church right now, and everybody were to say hands up, and we saw that they were police and all this other stuff, automatically, what would we do? We'd put our hands up or put them behind our heads so that they could see it. Full surrender is what I'm talking about. That's what Christ is talking about right here, full surrender. But a lot of times we're like Ananias and we're like, okay, we'll, we'll give a portion just to, this will be enough. I can have this over here. We're good. That's not how this, this goes. It's not how it works. Because see, the problem that we have is we really think that church is about us. We are the church. We are a body of believers. But the church isn't about, what we're doing this morning, what we're doing, looking at what, it is not about us. It is about Christ. And Christ magnified. We just sang it. Titus 2, 11 through 13 says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly possessions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly, godly lives in the present age. 
waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ did on the cross, He led by example. (laughs) But what He's saying is, you need to die to self. And I think everything that I've just said is completely summed up in one of my favorite quotes. And there's an incredibly, there's a huge packed story behind this quote. And it says this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die to yourself. The man that said this spent all of his adult life as a pastor, even as a youth pastor, and even even as a young man, he devoted himself, and I know there's a lot that I don't know about this man, but this is what I do know. He devoted himself to fighting the Nazis, the real German Nazis in World War II. He devoted himself to fighting those Nazis. He did it all in order to preach the gospel. He wanted to see Germany not just free from the Nazis, but a free country where people could worship and gather as we're gathering right here in the United States. He wanted it so bad. He said and in his final words as he was being put to death at the age of 39, he was arrested and he spent most of the last part of his life in jail under the Nazi regime, the German Nazi regime. In his last words, as he was called to be, as he was being executed on April 9th, 1945, his final words were this This for me, this is for me the end, the beginning of life. Some of you know this man, may have heard this man. He was a 39 year old by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I will tell you this right now, because of his efforts. I know we can kind of get into some of the the political stuff, but the gospel is alive and well in Germany right now. And working and changing lives. Just because of a man that grabbed the concept, that he counted the cost, and he knew that the cost was in order for Christ to be magnified and for people to know him and for their lives to be greatly impacted and deeply changed by the gospel, he knew that the cost was his life. And at all costs, he was going to make sure that, that his country, the people that he loved, that he interacted with, that he ministered to, even the soldiers that put him to death, knew about Jesus. The funny thing about it is, is that one of the soldiers that actually was a part of his execution was the one that recounted those final words and let people know what his final words were. To be all in, we have to count the cost. To be all in, we must deny ourselves. It's not about Jimmy anymore. It's not been about Jimmy for a long time. But finally, to to be all in, we must come and die. We must heed the words and the passages of Scripture that we've heard this morning 
But then also, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Die to everything. Your wants and desires are no longer important. And let me just tell you, let me go ahead and assure you, young believer, if this is where you're at and you're wrestling with this, God will provide richly. Because you will see that a life fully in Him, invisible in Him, when it becomes about Him, you will see that that everything that you need will be met. Your desires then become His desires. Loving people, caring for people, seeing that the great thing is that they also come to know the grace and mercy and love and a God who is holy through through His Son, Jesus Christ, through His death, burial, and resurrection. And that your life will become about the gospel. But a lot of the big thing is we sit here and we're like Ananias and Sapphira. And I may be completely butchering their names. Please forgive me if I am. But we want to give the illusion of the full surrender while still having our own. The next breath that you're about to draw is only because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Because of a holy God who loves you. Why would we not take the next breath that we draw and give it to the glory of Him so that other people may know about the grace and mercy of a God who is holy and about the love that He has demonstrated through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross? I was presented with this notion when I was about 16, 17 years old by a pastor. He was at a camp, had spent some time in strenuous training for a mission organization. And a lot of times when you do the mission organization thing, the last worship service, the commissioning service is, is come, let's pray over you, let's wash your feet or whatever. He preached Galatians 2.20 all week to us. And as he was wrapping up his sermon, on this same very subject, he pulls a stack of papers out of his, out of his book bag or whatever. And it was, it was cardstock, like the thick, heavy stuff. Places it on a table that he had set up in front of the worship area. And he pulls the top paper off. And it was certified death certificates for the state of South Carolina. He quoted that Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And he looked at those missionaries and he said, if you are about making much of Christ, and as you are serving the Lord, you need to come and die. And he challenged us to fill out those death certificates. I remember I got that death certificate and I took it over to the corner And I was afraid to fill it out. I still have it, and you can still see where I I wept over that death certificate. But it was a concept of, of us dying to ourselves and making much about Christ. And for God to do what has to be done here at New Life and through New Life, the servants of Christ, we as a body of believers, have to be much about Him and less about us. All about Him and none about us. So as we worship, wrap, and close our service in worship, I want to challenge you with this. 
if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Me, Scott, Austin, we're down here. We'll, we, we would be more than happy to show you what it means to follow Christ, to surrender your life to Christ. If the Lord's working on you in some way, bid you in, bid, bidding you to come and die, and you just need to come and, and pray and spend some time down here, you're welcome to do that. Even in worship. If God, if you want to just deal and work with God right where you're at, do it. But also, I would challenge you to vocalize it to somebody if he does. So as we sing and as we worship, think on these things. To be all in, we must count the cost. To be all in, we must deny ourselves. To be all in, we must come and die. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for what you've done through your word. Oh, Christ, be magnified. Lord, you have called. Lord, as your spirit works, God, let people be open to whatever you are calling them to do. May people come and die today to themselves and be all about you because of these things. We give you all the glory for it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.